Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. See, our service to the Lord, it kind of feeds our ego. It feeds our pride. And conversely, when I spend time with Jesus, whew, I'm humbled before Him. Until I've drunk deeply from that cup, until I've had that time of intimacy with Him, I cannot stand and represent Him. That would be to misrepresent Him. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Colossians. Today, Pastor J.D. talks about what humility and intimacy look like when shared with Christ. We can't stand before God unless our pride is in check. And how can you begin to know someone's nature when there has been no intimacy? Jesus wants you to strive to know Him the way that He knows you. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Colossians chapter 2 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Let's get started. Colossians chapter 2. Our text today will be verses 11 through 15. I'll ask you to stand if you're able. You can follow along as I read. The Apostle Paul is writing, and by the Holy Spirit says, verse 11, in Him, speaking of Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins, verse 13, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And, verse 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I want to talk to you today about a very simple but vital truth that if understood and more importantly applied, can really change our lives, change how we live our Christian lives. I chose to title today's teaching, Jesus is all I need, because Jesus did it all, Jesus paid it all for me, instead of me. All I need is Jesus. I don't need anything else. I don't need to do anything else. I think of that 
classic hymn of old, Just Give Me Jesus. You can have everything else. You can have this world. (laughs) All I need is Jesus. Just Jesus. There's nothing more I can do to add to what Jesus has already done. And to try is an exercise in futility destined to fail. Actually, this is what distinguishes Christianity from all the other world's religions, and in so doing exposes them for what they are, false. I was at the bank this last week and uh, struck up an interesting conversation with the teller. And actually I should say she kind of struck up an interesting conversation with me. It kind of took me back a little bit. I was a little surprised. I I had never met her before. I had never had this teller before. Maybe she's new to the bank, and maybe she saw that I was a pastor, and just started offering her own commentary on, you know, religions, and how that she took in college uh, a religions class. I'm like, okay, Lord, I <laughs> don't get me started here. Because, you know, the, the line... Why is it that the lines are always so long at the bank? I always try to go at those times when the lines aren't so long, and it's like everybody else had that same idea, and so the lines are always still long. So I thought, okay, Lord, I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you're in a situation like that, and the Lord just kind of opens up the door for you to respond and to give an answer of that hope to everyone, that is within you. I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to, this is a a sharp gal. She's uh, very smart, very intelligent. And uh, I've got to respond to this. I can't let it go because she is of the belief that all the world's religions basically worship the same God, right? So I found myself, in fact, this was really the Lord's way of saying, I'm actually giving you your sermon for Sunday. (laughs) So I basically said to her this, I said, the problem is that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. I didn't say it as animated (laughs) as that, (laughs) thankfully. There was a day in my younger years when I had more energy that I would do that. But And I said, this is what separates Christianity from all of the world's religions which are false. See, religion is man doing for God. But Christianity is what God has already done for man. That's the difference. Islam, for example. Islam is a religion, a false religion. And the Muslim has to do for Allah. That's religion. Christianity is the polar opposite, if I can say it that way. It's not what we do for God, it's what God has already done for us. He became a man, 
and He died for us instead of us. So it is finished, period. Not comma, not semicolon. No, it is finished. Now, this was the problem for the Colossian church. There were those that were teaching that there were other things you had to do. Now, in this case, it was circumcision. And the reason why is because the Colossian church was made up mostly of Gentiles, uncircumcised. So here's these false teachers kind of getting their tentacles into this church there in Colossae, and they're saying to them that they're required to be circumcised, that there's something that they still need to do. And this is what Paul is addressing. This is why he says what he says in verses 13 and 14, that in the uncircumcision of their flesh, God made them alive with Christ, having canceled the charge of their legal indebtedness. I like that. That kind of settles it, doesn't it? Now, lest we be too hard on the Colossians for believing that maybe there was something that they needed to do that they were required to do, I think we do well to consider our own propensity when it comes to this, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Innate within our sin nature and pride, we continue to strive for that which we already have in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is a pride thing. And this is what was happening there in Colossae. It was kind of like this, oh, you're a Gentile. You're a believer, but you're a Gentile. Well, have you been circumcised? I have. In other words, the implication being that I'm superior, you're inferior, because I've done this, you haven't. Here's the truth. I don't need to perform any ritual or any ceremony because Jesus fulfilled them all, and now they're symbols. And I'll explain that as well. Actually, one commentator explained it best this way. Every ceremony is completed, and every requirement is depleted. Now, I realize that the issue for us today as a church has nothing to do with circumcision. I mean, it's kind of uncomfortable even just talking about it, right? But water baptism is an issue. There are those today that are teaching falsely a false doctrine known as baptismal regeneration, meaning that you have to be baptized to be saved. That's false. I don't know how else to say it. Maybe I can say it this way. If anyone comes to you and says that you have to do anything in addition to what Jesus already did, they're false. It's a false teaching. I don't have to be water baptized to be saved. I don't have to be circumcised to be saved. That's, 
These are symbols now. Circumcision is a symbol of the cutting away of the flesh. And water baptism is a symbol of being resurrected in Christ. For those of you that are going to be baptized, I'm going to take you and I'm going to lay you back down in the water. And I'm going to keep you underwater. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Okay, and then I'm going to bring you up out of that water. Why? Because you are identifying symbolically with the death and burial in the water, and when you come out, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what water baptism is. The same thing with communion. When we celebrate communion, it is a symbol of what Jesus already did for us. It's done. It's finished. Jesus did it all, taking it away, nailing it to the cross, and now the indebtedness against us, the charges against us, are completed, been paid for. No longer is there a requirement. They're symbols. In other words, communion and water baptism are not necessary for salvation. They are symbols of salvation. Here's the best illustration I ever heard. It's that of a wedding ring. Here's my wedding ring. It's a symbol that I've been married, that I'm married, right? So too is baptism a symbol that I've been saved. This doesn't make me married, it's a symbol that I am married. So too with these expressions of our identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's where I'm going with this, and I spent some time this last week, actually on Thursday night at our Bible study, I made mention of this, and it's something that for many years I never really quite understood. You know how it is sometimes when you're in the Word, and you're spending time with the Lord, and the Lord just opens your eyes to something that you had never seen before, and the light goes on, and it's like, wow, that makes sense. Well, I had one of those experiences this last week, and that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about today. My relationship with the Lord is not determined by what I do for the Lord. But here's the thing. The opposite can also be true. What I do for the Lord can actually hinder my relationship with the Lord. So here was the question that I've had for many years, and please know I'm not speaking about this church. This is an amazing church. But the church that I planted and pastored on the mainland was riddled with conflict and striving and disagreements and arguments. And it, it was so 
hard for me to understand why it is. And then even within the staff, my staff and my board and my elders and my deacons and really all of the above, there was always this striving. And here I am, I'm a, I'm a young pastor. I'm not young, but I was, well at one time I was young, but that's enough of my problems. I mean, I'm new to the ministry, and all I knew was the business world, the corporate world, the secular arena. And one of the things that I could not understand was why Christians treat each other this way, especially within the context of a church environment. I mean, even in the world, it's not as bad as that. Why is that? I could never really understand that. And the Lord directed me to a book that I have in my library that I'm rereading again. It's the follow-up to that classic, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. This book is We Would See Jesus, and it's by both Roy and his wife Revel. And if you'll just indulge me, I want to quote this and then expound on this. To concentrate on service and activity for God may often actively thwart our attaining of the true goal, God Himself. At first sight, it seems heroic to fling our lives away in the service of God and of our fellows. We feel it is bound to mean more to Him than our experience of Him. Service seems so unselfish, whereas concentrating on our walk with God seems selfish and self-centered. But it's the reverse that's true. Christian service of itself can, and so often does, leave our self centered nature untouched. That is why there is scarcely a church, a mission station, or a committee undertaking a special piece of service that is without an unresolved problem of personal relationships eating out its heart and thwarting its progress. Here's where the light went off for me. Our relationship with the Lord is sacrificed on the altar of our service to the Lord. Let me say the same thing in a different way. I have no business serving the Lord if it comes at the expense of my time with the Lord. I'm sorry that I have to use this word that the world hijacked, and I shouldn't use the word hijacked either when I say it, but the success, the secret to success in ministry, in our service to the Lord, certainly as a church, the secret to success is not in what we do, it's in our relationship with Him. I don't want people on my staff whose relationship with the Lord is going to suffer because of their service to the Lord. Let me back up a couple of steps and say it this way, and I'll speak for myself. I have no business being the pastor of this church unless I first have this intimacy with the Lord. I have no right to stand up here behind this pulpit, as is my privilege to do, 
and teach and preach unless I've had that time with the Lord first. It is the most important. It is of paramount importance. Here's the thing. When that's lacking, and it's lacking, there's like this overcompensating for that which we don't have in our relationship with the Lord, and it's masked by our service to the Lord. See, our service to the Lord, it kind of feeds our ego. It feeds our pride. And conversely, when I (laughs) spend time with Jesus, I'm humbled before Him. Until I've drunk deeply from that cup, until I've had that time of intimacy with Him, I cannot stand and represent Him. That would be to misrepresent Him. I want to close with a true story that I think says it all. It comes from Harry Ironside, now with the Lord, and he shares about knowing a man who had suffered the death of his wife, leaving him alone with their only daughter, who was the joy of his life. This was long ago, and well before the time of television, when families actually sat together and talked together. As the story goes, it was during the winter, with Christmas fast approaching, as the autumn season had quickly passed by, giving way to the busyness of the holiday. On one particular evening, the daughter politely excused herself after dinner, leaving her father only to disappear to her room for the night. This repeated itself night after night until Christmas morning when she came running down the stairs with a nicely wrapped present to give to her father. He opens the gift and finds inside a pair of hand-knitted slippers that his beloved daughter had spent all those nights making for him. The father graciously thanked her for the slippers, but then kindly speaks to her, saying how he would have much rather had her with him all those lonely evenings than even 10,000 of those slippers. Suffice it to say, you know what the Lord wants? Us. Time with us. The book of Colossians was written long ago to followers of Jesus, but the truth it conveys is relevant to your life right now. As with many of the early churches, false teachers were plaguing the Colossian church, and false teachers try to derail people today. They use pieces of scripture to sound legitimate, but often these passages are taken out of context and lack the love and truth intended by the author. These false teachers can be difficult to spot, but through studying God's Word and staying connected to Him, you'll have the ability to see them as the deceivers they are. We pray you continue to study God's Word for yourself, even after our time with you today on In Spirit and Truth is Ended. If you'd like to keep listening, we do encourage you to visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. 
Our audio library is available in the archive, or you can also take these teachings on the go with our mobile app. Find links to download at our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This app is a great asset for your time of study. Not only will you have Pastor JD's Bible teachings, there's also helpful links and access to the latest editions of Pastor JD's weekly Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor JD takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to prophecies in the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time for more from Colossians right here on In Spirit and Truth. Truth.